Big Conversations Little Bar with your hosts Randy Florence and Patrick Evans, featuring candid conversations with the Coachella Valley's most interesting and influential people. Pull up a bar stool and enjoy Big Conversations Little Bar. Welcome to our inaugural edition of Big Conversations Little Bar. I'm Patrick Evans, and I am joined by my partner in this podcast, Mr. Randy Florence. Hello, Patrick. How are you? You know, I think we should tell people how this idea came to fruition, and it really started here at Little Bar, Skip's Little Bar in Palm Desert. You really were talking about doing a very music-focused podcast. Yeah, in every major conversation we've had is at Little Bar. (laughs) Uh, Almost every conversation we have is at Little Bar. That's true. Every conversation we have is about Little Bar. You know, I was sitting there one day thinking about some songs that had made a difference in my life. And I thought, I wonder if everybody has some songs that would make a difference in their life. And so that's kind of where it started. And that started our conversation. And then it kind of grew out of there. I, of course, had three songs that related ultimately to my father. And you had a Megan Trainor song. I remember that's what we discussed. <laughs> Which decidedly does not re- you know, relate to my father. But out of this, and we were at Little Bar, and Skip, of course, was there. And he said, oh, cool. A podcast would be a cool thing. And then we decided, well, what if we did it from Little Bar? And Skip said that that would be a very cool idea. Mm-hmm. So that segues right into introducing our very first guest which is Skip Page, formerly of Golden Voice, 20 years with Golden Voice, yeah. correct? Yeah, how you doing? Skip, hey, Skip. Thanks, yeah. thanks, first of all, for hosting us. Yeah, no problem. This is a great idea. It's a cool setting. It's a fun place. I can't think of a more fun place to have a podcast because we always have fun when we come to Little Bar. One of the things that I wanted to ask you about, just to kind of get the ball rolling here, I mean, you're kind of one of the architects of the modern music scene here in the Coachella Valley. These festivals really have defined, and more so over the last several years, they've grown bigger. Did you envision that when you guys first kind of sketched this out and penciled it out? No, absolutely not. Actually, you know, my my good friend from college, Paul Tillette, we've known each other since 1985, (laughs) went to Cal Poly Pomona together. It was his idea. Golden Voice was a struggling concert promoter, and if you know anything about that business, it's a terrible business. Uh, (laughs) Unless you own the building, unless you're getting the parking money, unless you're selling beer, you're not making money. And he had traveled to Europe and had seen these big festivals like Glastonbury and Leeds and Reading, and he always wanted to do something like that because, you know, what was different than doing shows at the Roxy or at the Palladium was that at the polo fields, you own everything. Every dollar that came in, we controlled it, you know? You sell a beer, it's our money. And that made it so we had a lot of different revenue streams. And your background at Cal Poly, you were studying finance, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, finance, real estate, and law. Yeah. So what was Paul studying? Chemical engineering. (laughs) Well, and you know what's funny? His brother, Perry, who's one year older than him, they were both chemical engineering students, and we called them the Chemical Brothers. <laughs> before there was a band called the Chemical Brothers, but you know, to get to get to it is that no, we didn't know. Paul, uh, the first one was in 1999. It was at uh, the Empire Polo Club, as you know. It was the largest piece of grass that, that we could find, and uh, so we decided to do it there. Golden Voice had done Pearl Jam there earlier, 1993, and it didn't go that great, but. We, we knew the site was good. So, you know, the first one happened. It lost a lot of money. <laughs> but often first-time ventures do. Yeah. Like, that's that's just kind of the, yeah, the price we, of doing business. But we were an independent company. We, weren't, we were just a bunch of guys 
and a bunch of guys doing a concert. And the first one lost money. You know, Empire was the largest piece of grass that we could find in Southern California. And so in 1999, we did the first Coachella. We were an independently owned company. We didn't have any big money backers or anything like that. And the show, this is all public information, but the show did 17,000 people on the first day and 22,000 people on the second day. And it lost a lot of money. That then caused a lot of trouble in all of our other businesses. And to make a long story short, we all kind of broke up. One of the guys went away. He went and worked for a different competitor. We sold our company to Philip Anschutz, who at the time had just built the Staples Center and needed a concert promoter. So we, um, we sold Golden Voice to him. But nobody really believed in Coachella, so we kept Coachella separate. Yeah, luckily. And so then you we carved that out. Yeah. And it wasn't part of the sale. So no, so we got enough money from the sale to kind of pay off everybody that, that we owed. You know, we owed bands, you know, Beck and Tool, Rage Against the Machine. We owed all of them money. All these vendors, we owed money. And AEG at the time, we were the second company that they purchased, gave us just enough money to pay everybody off. So we have everybody paid off. We're working for AEG. We've got paychecks. We're going to go do the next Coachella. And it's great. 2001, we, did, we skipped 18 months. We moved it from the fall to the spring. So it was about 18 months separated the two. And uh, it was great. We only did one day. Because um, we wanted to kind of, you know, lower the risk a little bit. And it was critically acclaimed. But again, it lost money. But not as much as the previous one. So we kept doing it. And we kept doing it. And every time we did it, we would leave the show. And it was just the greatest thing we'd ever done. When was the first year you actually turned a profit on Coachella? Well, I w I'll get to that. Okay, okay. so... <laughs> Because there's a little bit of heartache in there, you know? Okay. So we did the show in 2001. It lost less money, but it was great. We did it again in 2002, and we had, uh, I don't know, the Foo Fighters and Oasis and Bjork, and all of my friends would come, and they'd say, this is the greatest thing they've ever been to, and lost money. 2003, we had the White Stripes and uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, and just amazing. And that one kind of broke even. And, you're, and I remember talking to Paul, and at the time, there, were, there was another man, uh, Rick Van Santen. He was Paul's original partner in Golden Voice. And he was around, and he was, uh, he was very connected to the bands. He was very, very well-known in the, in the music scene. And he, he helped to get a lot of the bands at the time. And we all kind of just th said, well, finally, people will come to the desert to see music, right? Because we didn't think they would. So in October of 2003... We confirmed Radiohead, which at the time was the holy grail of that indie music scene. Because we were going for, we weren't going for pop bands. We were going for bands that, you know, only the cool kids liked. Uh, so in October of 2003, we confirmed Radiohead. And we know it's going to be awesome. It's going to be big. And we're very happy. Everybody goes away on vacation for Christmas. We're going to announce the show in January. And uh, Rick dies in his sleep mm. at age 51 years old. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, actually, Rick never got to see the greatness of that show. Wow. He never saw the fulfillment of that dream that no. you guys started with. No. He never did. And it's sad. And you could tell. Bums me out. Yeah. So, he passed away two days after Christmas, 2003. And we went on sale a week later, and it sold out. Big. Mm -hmm. Biggest thing ever. And, and that we was the first time it sold out. And made money. Yeah. We ended up, Rick's mom, Diane, she's a wonderful person. She's a good friend of ours. We wanted to take care of her, so we sold half of Coachella to Phil Anschutz, AEG at the time. So in 2004, 
We do the show, it makes a bunch of money. We sell half of it to AEG. And after that, the sky's the limit. Just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. All my friends come, they tell me it's the greatest thing they've ever been to. When that show's done every weekend, I'm like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing. How did you decide to go from the one weekend model to the two weekend model? Well, first we went from two days to three days. Right. Right? So then we went, in 2007, we went from two days to three days. We had the Rage Against the Machine reunion, which was big. And then also we started Stagecoach, the country music festival. Yeah. Because, you know, what, what we had realized, and me being the operating guy, I realized that, like, you know, the more shows we can do, we can amortize our costs, you know, make it cheaper for everybody. But you still own all the concession. Everything, as, yeah. Everything, when you walk in the gates... Whatever money gets spent goes in Golden Voices bank account. Gotcha. Yeah. And that's still the case. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so we did that. We, on 2007, we went to three days of Coachella, and we went to two days with Stagecoach. And uh, we had George Strait and Kenny Chesney. That one didn't do that well either. But again, you know, when you start these things, they, they, they started small. But it was great, and I remember George Strait. I sported him a, a dinner at Sullivan's. He spent 6000 bucks <laughs> on wine. <laughs> He's great. He was, he was drinking champagne and feeling yeah. no pain. Yeah. Right. And, uh, but I remember telling the manager, like, whatever he wants. And it was like next day, he emails me and goes, send me your credit card, was $6,000. Six grand. But um, so we went to three days on, on Coachella in 2007, and we started Stagecoach, and it just kept getting better and better and better and bigger. And as things got bigger, you know, you got all these people that got their hands out, you know, the cities, the bands, the, um, the vendors, everybody's got their hands out. And... I remember Paul coming to me one day and saying, what's better than one Coachella? And I go, I don't know. He goes, two. And I'm like, okay. And it was his idea to go double weekends. It was his idea to do the same exact, exact lineup. And you know, during that time, we had some issues where we went from, you know, Ticketmaster had these paper tickets, and then we went to the wristband, and that changed a lot of things because before people would buy, like, you, you know, you'd buy a three-day pass, you get three tickets. You'd go on Friday, your girlfriend would go on Saturday, and then Sunday you'd hang out at the pool at La Quinta. You know, and then on Monday morning everybody's at work and said, I went to Coachella. It's like going to the Super Bowl. You can go to the Super Bowl and party, never go to the game, right. and then on never Monday you it. say, yeah. I had a great say, time. I went to, yeah, I went to the Super Bowl, right? <laughs> Same thing. So we changed it to where you buy a ticket, you can go all days, you can go no days, I don't care. You get that wristband, you can't take it off, and it changed the economics of the show completely, and it made it so we were able to go to two weekends. But with that came a lot of trouble, you know. The city of La Quinta didn't like it, you know. The mayor, Don Adolph, he got stuck in traffic. And that made him mad. It did. He's still there. So <laughs> I, I remember I used to hang out. I used to hang out at uh, La Quinta Baking Company over there. And I lived in L.A. and I had a house and part-time here. And I'd drive out on Thursday mornings and I'd go to La Quinta Baking Company and have breakfast, you know. And I remember the guy that owned it. He had this handlebar mustache or whatever, Bob. And I come in there, it's about 8.30 in the morning, he walks out, he goes, the mayor's in there, and he's re talking real bad about you right now. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, I'll sit out here. And, uh, you, you know, but then, but then, you know, you just went through the process. We, we, and I remember at that time, 2012, I, I was, I was uh, appointed the person that goes and talks to everybody. So I would hold these town hall meetings, I would go to... HOA meetings and these people would scream at me and cry and how I'm ruining the, their property values and I got a drug dealer on stage and I got this and I got that and you know I remember even going to one that I won't name the HOA and they're like you know 
complaining that, you know, people are jumping their walls and nobody's doing it and they call the cops and the cops don't come. Well, I got the chief of police next to me for La Quinta and he's like, three years, nobody's ever called me. <laughs> and they're like, oh, well, our security, head of security says he called you. So, you know, it was just people want to be listened to. I don't know, you know, people want to be listened to. Well, so and, and I, you're stuck with a uh, with an issue that you, you have an audience coming to this, and it's not necessarily the audience that lives next door to this. No. No. Well, you know, uh, again, I'm not telling any secrets, but, you know, 10% of the people that go to Coachella don't live in the United States, and half don't even live in California. Mm. So that 50% uh, come from out of state. Yeah. That's remarkable. And, and every state. I think the 10% international is a pretty big number. Yeah. 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 Well, and it depends on what headliners you have, too. You know, a lot of Japan, a lot of Australia, a lot of Mexico. And the thing is, is that I remember, you know, when we, we, we had some issues with the cities where we had to go to court or whatever, you know. And I remember this one lawyer saying, I flew to Kansas City and I got a rental car and the kid at the counter asked for my ID and I show him my driver's license and it says I live in India. And the kid says to me, do you know Coachella? And he's like, yeah. He goes, that's the greatest thing I've ever been to. And the lawyer says, you know what else he told me? there's drugs there <laughs> and I'm like whatever rock and roll and it, drugs it kind of put Indio on the map I don't want to say that you know I don't want to say Indio is an awesome town I love it I live in Indio but I don't want to say it but it kind of did well I think for certainly for a modern audience it absolutely did and Indio is a bit undersung it's the largest city in the valley people don't realize that we always think of Palm Springs but it is a, Palm Springs has half yeah. the population of Indio and in terms of an entertainment venue, India wasn't that. It was a working-class town. It, it, it was the, the end of the valley that was all about agriculture and getting those products out. That's what it was all about. Yeah. And you guys have changed that dynamic enormously. Well, you know, what's funny is, is the Coachella thing, where we're just, we're just not very creative people. <laughs> so when we're trying to come up with a name for the thing, we're like, hmm, let's just, it's the Coachella Valley. Let's call it the Coachella Valley Music and Arts Festival. And, you know, it, we could have came up with some really esoteric, abstract name, but no, we just named it after the valley. Now everybody, you know, Coachella, Coachella. And, you know, the guys in Coachella, I love those guys too, but they're mad. Because it's not there. Well, because I have Coachella.com, and they don't. <laughs> <laughs> they got Coachella.org. You know, but whatever it may be, I feel like we contributed a lot to the Valley. And, you know, you talk about, you know, I have a lot of emotions wrapped up in this. So you talk about things like um, we defined a generation. Yes. There's no question. And that's, that's heavy. You know, like it's not like, like there's a whole, like fashion. You know, we made a couple movies about the, the festival and, you know, fashion. It was ridiculous. Like, you know, I remember these kids would go and they go shopping just for Coachella. Yeah. What am I going to wear? My daughter did it. Does it still. And it, it literally has been for an entire generation that yeah. you guys have been doing this. Yeah. Yeah. When, when, you, when you and Paul started sitting down and talking about this, first of all, were you was it a Jobs, Wozniak kind of thing where no. you had major differences? No. Were you on the same page no, Paul, from day it was, one? It's, it was 95% Paul's idea. He knew what, what he wanted to book and he's the genius there. And he knew exactly what he wanted to do, he, even to a fault that, you know, some of the bands that he booked, like nobody knew. 
No, unless the cool the cool kids knew him, but no, nobody else knew. But him. he was Even, pretty deep in the weeds in that. Absolutely, and he still is. He's a genius. I would say he's a genius, and in many ways, the results prove that. But he, it's his idea. I just tried to keep him from spending all the money. I was the money guy. I was the COO. So I used to tell him, he'd call me and say, you know, I'm, oh man, I can't book this. I'm trying to get this. They want too much, blah, blah, blah. And I would say like, you know what? Just give me the lineup. Once you give me the lineup, then I'll take it from there. And put it on sale, get the tickets priced, get all the vendors, get the staff. I managed all that. And it grew and grew and grew. You know, the first, the first year it grossed, I don't know, three, three million. And, you know, the, I retired in 2017, but the year I retired, it grossed 125 million. Wow. Mm. So. And, and what's the attendance? Over 100. 125,000 yeah. a day. Yeah. That's the, that's the, what the city, the permit with the city gives you. And it's 125,000. Let's, let's talk about desert trip for a minute. Yeah. How'd that come about? That Who's was, again, that was Paul's, that was Paul's thing. You know, I, He's one of my best friends. I was just with him last night. He's one of my best friends, and I love him dearly. Our company, AEG, was, was doing the national tours for all three of those artists, the Rolling Stones, Roger Waters, and McCartney. And McCartney played Coachella in 2009, mm -hmm. and after that, he came every year, just hanging out, like the coolest dude, and just hanging out. And Paul's like, we were doing the Rolling Stones, and there was this controversy in the, in the concert business about what they call secondary ticketing, you know, VIP, platinum, mm -hmm. you know, scalpers, who controls that? Well, if you have the world tour for a band, I control that as the promoter, right? So we saw that the Stones, they would do this platinum thing where if you wanted to sit in the front row, you got a free t-shirt and you got, to, you got to be in a room with Mick Jagger and it was 2,500 bucks. Okay. You know? And all that money went into the pot and the band gets it all, right? most of it and we saw that they played a stadium in california and they had walked out with at the time the most any band had ever made in one show and we're like wow these guys are huge and we were starting to see that with some of the other bands too that these big stadium bands that wow the numbers are just really getting up they're really getting up they're nothing like they are today by the way so paul's idea was that i'm gonna do the greatest show of all time and I'm going to get, you know, basically the Beatles, Rolling Stones, and Pink Floyd. And I'm going to get three openers that, and it's going to be a six-band bill, none of this all-day thing. And we're going to charge a lot because I'm going to pay them a lot. So he came up with Desert Trip. He f actually met with each of the artists separately, flew to Buenos Aires, met with Mick Jagger. Mm. They all were concerned it was going to be like, a, like an oldies package. And he's like, no, this is going to be as relevant as it comes. So... We paid those six artists the most they've ever been paid for a show. Wow. Twice, because they, they did two weekends. That's right. So, uh, you know, I like, that's, that's, a, that's a nice little shingle to hang on your wall, you know, that you paid the most for a band. But, yeah, because one of the guys in McCartney's group lives in Palm Springs, right? And uh, he, he said it to me. I saw him at the, at the Doobie Brothers at the opening of the arena here a couple weeks ago. He was like, oh, yeah, yeah that, that was the most we ever got paid. You know, <laughs> it's unbelievable. Now, it, it, in Desert Trip, I think there was an expectation that it would not be a one-off. People felt like maybe you were sowing the seeds for a series similar to Coachella, but featuring those kinds of bands. Yeah, uh, it, and that has yet to happen. But is that still something that could? Well, well yeah, it could. 
you know, the, the thing about it is that, and again, you know, this is all Paul's thing, and, but I do talk to him frequently about it, and I have my idea what it could be, but you need, you need three artists that can sell out a stadium that people want to see, you know? You can't, you can't, you know, Taylor Swift can sell out a stadium, but you don't put her on Desert Trip. It needs to be, right. it needs to be meaningful bands. And if you look at those six artists that played Desert Trip, like, those all had an impact on, on Paul and, and all of our lives. Like, they're real, like, that's the real deal. I yeah. think that's one of those once-in-a-lifetime you know? kinds of experiences yeah. for people. Oh, yeah, it was. <laughs> well, tickets, the average ticket was 1690 bucks. so yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's definitely once-in-a-lifetime for me. Yeah, exactly. That's why my right? wife and I volunteered to work there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, will it happen again? Yes. Who will play and when will it be? I don't know. Let, let me go back. Springsteen would be a good one, though. Springsteen would be perfect. You know, for and that. Petty, if he hadn't died, he would have been a good one. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Agreed. But, but, you know, the thing about it is, is that was six years ago. So, what, eight, a generation is eight years. So now all of a sudden, you can't, you got to get out of the 70s. Yeah, the, the people on that artist list have changed. Yeah. You know, the year after, when people were speculating, oh, if Desert Trip comes back, what's it going to look like? Well, it should have been Zeppelin. <laughs> yeah. And the thing about it is Zeppelin, like, you know, I think, I think AEG offered him $200 million. And they're like, yeah, no, nah. Well, Robert Plant's like, why would I want to play with those old guys? <laughs> wow. And actually, I heard when we booked Desert Trip, the manager of the Who came to the office, and he had worked with, with Zeppelin, and he said, actually, Robert Plant's not the problem, that Jimmy Page is just can't, can't play that well. Mm. Just dexterity, just old. You know, he's older. Can't move his fingers like he could. Did you ever talk to Clapton? Yeah, but I don't think he's that big. Not like, a stadium no, sellout. No, no, you got it. Like, and a sellout that can sell at a high price. Yeah. You know, because it's not cheap putting on these shows out here. It's, it's expensive. Not just the artist fees, but the stage and all the production. I and would all that think stuff. that Coachella's got more. Exp- I mean, first of all, it's a huge bill. Yeah. You're bringing in a lot of acts. So yeah. that nut's not small. No. And but you know, you got a lot of staff. You got a lot, a lot of production. It gets bigger. There's more stages. You know, all the vendors, you know, this is a very labor-intensive business. So, and we know the cost of labor is going through the roof. So, yeah, the costs are going up. That's why the ticket price is going up. No, but nobody's getting, nobody's getting super rich here, you know. I had to open a restaurant to make money. <laughs> <laughs> and we all know what a good investment restaurant is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but so, I, I want to go back. The premise of the show is kind of talking about music and what it meant to folks. Was music a large, large part of your life Absolutely. before Paul? Absolutely. And what was it? Well, I was a punk rocker in high school. I had a shaved head. I listened to bands like Black Flag, X, TSOL, XTC. Oh, the, I liked The Police, all those bands, mm. all those early K-Rock bands. Yep. We called them when we lived in L.A., all those early K-Rock bands. And uh, I loved all those bands. And actually, and then, you know, I went to college and I always wanted to be in a band, but I just, my hands are too small to play a guitar. So I figured, and I kind of had a brain. So I figured, you know, I'm not going to be in a band. I'm just going to run one. <laughs> Which you is know? where, you know. Yeah. So uh, there's some money in that. Yeah, there is. There is. And then, so I started, I went to college and, and that's where Paul and I met. And there was a scene there. There was a, I booked all the concerts at, at the college. There was a scene there. I met a guy named Kevin Lyman who went on to be very successful in the music business, still one of my good friends. And there was a lot of bands from that area, Kent State, Psych 201, The Stepmothers, uh, The Unforgiven, all these bands that were kind of, you know, happening when, when I was in high school and early college. 
And uh, actually, when I got out of college, I started managing bands. And uh, one of the first ones I managed was X. Yeah, who, who at the time, like, they were going through a transition, kind of their second period and in, uh, in their success. And I, I loved them so much. I remember uh, meeting, meeting them for the first time. And, and uh, Xene was just, she, I remember she sat down and, and drew on my tablet and I'm like, oh my God, like I have a piece of artwork from Maxine Cervenka, <laughs> you know? And, that, and I just worked with them and I took care of them and, and they, were, they were good friends of mine for a really long time and I worked with a band, The Cramps, Taj Mahal, mm. Barry White, all they're all on the wall here. And uh, worked with Barry White, just a, an amazing dude, just beautiful. Yeah, I love music. Mm. I love music. I wish I could play music. I really do. Can you sing? No, well maybe, I don't know. <laughs> Depends on how many drinks. Yeah, and uh, I can. You know, I want to hear a little laugh in the car. <laughs> but yeah, I love music actually. And, and when you talk about like music and how it affects you, it's like it's interesting. You know, I don't know if I necessarily have a song that like that defines or like affects me that way. But I would say that uh, I have bands. I have experiences with bands and concerts and and even you know. I cry all the time, man, when I see a band play that I haven't seen in a long time, and like, and it brings back memories. And I'm, I'm sentimental, actually. And these bands, like, you know, like my favorite band of all time is Oingo Boingo. You know, Danny Elfman. Yes, genius. Who is? Yeah, absolutely a genius. Totally. And, and, and beyond Oingo Boingo, he's just had such an incredible career. Yeah. And and it was kind of an interesting turn that he took going into the to, to film scores. Yeah. But, you know, I remember listening to Oingo Boingo. I remember seeing Oingo Boingo in the movie Back to School yeah. with Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's a great movie. Oh, one of the best. We, all right. So you, you said that music, you know, and I think all, all three of us sitting here, we, we agree, music is an emotional experience. What are the bands that bring out those emotions? Like, what is the band that you'll watch and, and just, you know, tear up, e either out of just joy to see them or the emotions that it brings yeah. out to you? Yeah. Okay. So let me think about this. Uh, Oingo Boingo for sure. It doesn't make me cry. It just makes me think about like all these great moments I had, you know, sneaking into those shows and how eventually in, as I matured in the music business, I ended up meeting all of them. And that's another story, but they're awesome. You know, Jeff Buckley, you mm -hmm. know, he died and his album is just so amazing. It makes me cry every time I listen to it. He died some tragic death, you know, um, anything Steely Dan, anything Eddie Van Halen, you know, David Lee Roth, those guys are all from Pasadena. It's kind of where I, I grew up, and um, I could go on and on. I think that, like... Who uh, was your first big concert? Stephen Stills, 1976, Tucson, Arizona. I had no idea who he was. First time I smoked a cigarette, too. I was 10. <laughs> 10? <laughs> My cousins, they were bad news. Did you like him? Sure. No. I didn't know who he was. Now I like him. Now you like him. Well, you know, it's funny. I didn't like Pink Floyd. Until I saw him at Desert Trip or Roger Waters. Wasn't you know? that crazy? And now, like, and then you go back and you listen to, like, Dark Side of the Moon. You're like, whoa. It's amazing, you know? It's, it's generational music, but it spans generations. My 14-year-old asked for uh, the Pink Floyd album yeah. for Christmas this year. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's really interesting how we hand down that music. I have an 11-year-old granddaughter who sent me a picture last week with her Green Day T-shirt on, so... Yeah, I yeah, I have a lot a lot of a lot of music that just that that hits me. But I would say you know I love I love classic rock. I love like Queen. You know I was born in 1966, so I love Queen. I love Steely Dan. I love uh, 
I love anything from that era, you know. Uh, you know how I really like, and he lives out here, is uh, Mickey Thomas, you know. Oh, yeah. El he, he sang for Elvin Bishop. You know that song, uh, Fool Around that and Fell in Love? Around and fell he sang El that song. That's right. Elvin Bishop wrote that song. Yeah. And then he did a version of it where he played and sang, and he didn't like it. Right. So he recruited Mickey Thomas to do the vocal. Yeah. Yeah. That song rocks. So great, and I've seen him play. You know, out here, he's done some different charity. I saw Elvis Elvin back in high school. It was an incredible show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Steve Miller is awesome. You know, Norton Buffalo played the uh, harmonica for him, and you know, had a, had a whole solo career. I was totally into. Uh, you know, any of those bands, Circle Jerks. You know, kind of a funny band, but yep. uh, poignant. You know, the thing is, is that they they sang about they they sang about stuff like when you're young. You know. You're like, yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> I went through that. Yeah. yeah. All right. When you got into promoting shows, uh, what was the biggest debacle as a promoter? Like, what was, like, one that you look back and go, man, I should have never touched that? Mm, there's a couple of those. <laughs> And next week, we'll have Skip yeah. on for part two. Yeah, yeah, no. We can keep going. I got all kinds of time. <laughs> Go uh, ahead. The, the, the biggest bar. We yeah. can stay as long yeah, as we the want. Yeah, big, the biggest debacle. I had a lot of them. These little fest We used to do these little festivals, you know. And uh, um, we had a spot in Orange County called the Oak Canyon Ranch. Yeah, it, yeah. I know it. And uh, we used to do a rockabilly uh, show there. It was pretty great. But then we started branching out and doing these other shows. And we did this show called This Ain't No Picnic. Which was the title was a minute a song from the Minutemen, right? This ain't no picnic, but it was you know it was terrible. Nobody came, and I remember it was the biggest loss. We had never lost that much money on a show before, and Paul and I were like embarrassed. And then we did it again, you know, with this band called Jimmy World, and it bombed again. You know, I'd say ninety percent of the shows that we did lost money, but you know those ten percent that didn't are the ones that make make it out. <laughs> But we, we, we nicknamed that one Jimmy Killed Picnic. <laughs> just, just shows that you wish you hadn't done. Or like, even when they're booked. And once you confirm with the band, you're, you're good to go. You got to pay them. Even, even if you don't sell one ticket. So like we knew right away, we're like, this show's going to bomb. Mm. This is, and that's a hard thing, like to go through like the motions of putting on a show that you know it's just going to lose. You know, because you still got to pull all out all yeah, the stops. You still, and yeah, you got to do the stage. You got to do and the act lights. like you're excited about it. Yeah, 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 and it's like it's that's a terrible feeling. But I don't, I don't know. Like I've had a lot of those. Going the other direction, what was there somebody that you just never thought you guys would get on stage, and you got it? Leonard Cohen, hmm. right? He played okay. Coachella, and he's a stickler, you know, for the sound and all that stuff, and. He wanted it super quiet because he's quiet, you know, yeah. and uh, played Coachella, I remember. And then Morrissey started playing like five minutes before set ended. And it's like all the sound comes and he's all mad. But yeah, Leonard Cohen, Madonna at Coachella 2006 was epic. That's huge. She should have done. She could have done better. She didn't do that well. She phoned it in. And if I was her, I would have been like, man, I'm going to come out. I'm going to rock you guys. Instead, she did like a radio track date, you know. And that's interesting because she's she just launched another yeah. world tour. Yeah. It'll be curious to see if she. Yeah, you know I like Madonna. She's awesome, and I love all bands. I don't know if that's true if the bands all love us, but you know it's funny. I, I quit working in the music business about f five years ago, and up until that time, I judged every band on if I liked their manager or their agent. Hmm. If their agent was an asshole, I'm like that band sucks. That's right. <laughs> 
but now I don't think that way anymore. So now you kind of yeah. you can sit back and judge the music. Yeah. All right, talk about the transition out of out of Golden Voice and into Little Bar. What, yeah. What what gave you the idea to do this? Well, you know, so we did de- we did Desert Trip, and that was in 2016, and it did really well. And uh, financially, I was in a good spot. Emotionally, you know, rock and roll is hard, man. I never had a drug or alcohol problem, but I had a lot of other problems, and uh, and they caught up with me, you know. Um, and I, I needed I needed a break. I needed to check out. I was gonna it wasn't gonna be good. And uh, so at the end of 2017, I decided I'm not gonna work in the music business anymore. And even the last few years of Golden Voice, I was more of a real estate developer. We had bought all the land out there, and I was doing entitlements, and I really enjoyed that. So I figured, you know, I'm going to keep doing that. Paul and I and his brother had built some houses in Palm Springs, and we built some other houses in La Quinta, and I really enjoyed doing that. And uh, I needed to get my head straight. I had, um, I had two kids that, uh, that needed me badly. And you see one working here right now, the good-looking one, the Calvin Klein model. Uh, and, um, and Colin's had, fantastic. Yes, he is a great guy. Well, I asked him earlier, and he said he was. Yes. So. <laughs> yeah. What a Calvin Klein model. No, that he was a great well, guy. He walks real straight up, so he's got that model. He model does. Walk. But I, I had two kids that needed me. My daughter was younger. Um, I had a wife, 20, 26 years, and uh, I needed to focus on that because it was all, all crashing on me. Mm. Um, so I did that. And I took two years. I, I retired in 2017, 2018. I got 52 stamps on my passport. Traveled all over. Did a lot of great things. And uh, and then, you know, wh- the festivals were, weren't just the festival. The festivals were we owned a food and beverage company. We owned a ticketing company. We owned all these other companies that were around there. And um, the food and beverage company was run by a good friend of mine. And he had said to me, look, I have a liquor license in Riverside County, and either you lose, use it or you lose it. So he says, you got one year. You always talked about opening a bar. Go find a spot. I got the license. So I looked around up on El Paseo. The rents were crazy. I didn't want to take any big risk or whatever. And then a friend of mine who was a realtor out here said, you should go meet Randy. I'd never met Randy. Randy's and, Cafe. Yes. Yeah. So Ran- Randy... Uh, I came here to Randy's Cafe, and Randy was a character, for sure. You guys know him, maybe. Uh, he was open four hours a day, three days a week, six months out of the year. Yep. And here served one thing. One Breakfast. Thing. No, like eggs with hash browns <laughs> that's right, that's right. and bacon <laughs> that's right. and coffee. Like, you could look at the menu and order, like, I want this, 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 hold the blah, blah, blah. And he'd say, cool, and you bring eggs and bacon. But... Uh, but he was, he was old. He was in his 70s, and he, wanted, he needed out. And the place is perfect. It's 850 square feet. I'm like, this is perfect. So I, I bought him out, and I tore it all out. All I left was part of the kitchen, and I remodeled the whole thing and turned it into a little bar. And, and even the name, you know, I was asking my friends, what are we going to call it? And I'm like, okay, when we're hanging out at the nest, and we're all done, and we say where we want to go, let's go to Skip's Little Bar. So I'm like... Let's call it that. There you go. Named itself. So, yeah. And, uh, you know, and I used to have parties at my house. I have a big old house in Indio. And I used to have people over there all the time, spending the night, crashing on my couch and partying and doing whatever. And I figured now, like, I've I... heard lots of good stories. I know. There are party. good stories. <laughs> there are good stories. Uh, and uh, so I figured now, you know, it's like, it's like my house, but I have a credit card machine and a staff. 
you know. That's very cool. My friend Tom, I won't use his last name, he used to say, he'd come over and he'd say, what can I bring? And I'd say, bring ice, you know. That was his entrance fee, you know. I got everything else, bring ice. So now, like, just bring your, bring your visa. Everybody's drinking your liquor, but yeah, they're yeah. paying you for it, which yeah. works out pretty well. Yeah, and it's So like, you are a restauranteur now? Restaurateur, yeah, I guess so. I'm opening another one in India. That's where yep. I was at just previous, previously. Yeah, so what did, tell us about that. Well, it's, uh, it's the city of India, which I think is awesome, has an old beat-up downtown that nobody's at. It's very similar to um, in Pomona, where I spent a lot of my years. My dad owned a business in Pomona, and I went to Cal Poly Pomona. Um, in, uh, in 97, uh, Paul and his brother uh, found a thrifty drugstore on 2nd Street in Pomona, which was very similar to the Indio Miles Avenue. And they turned it into an all-ages concert hall. They called it the Glass House. And from there, it kind of just grew. The city put some money into a theater that was around the corner, and then the Thai restaurant opens up, and the skateboard shop opened up. And now you go down there, and there's an art school. Now there's all just hipster kids everywhere. It's totally great. But it needed an anchor, and the, yeah. they gave it that. So that's what I'm trying to do here. The city had a building they owned. Uh, they gave me a smoking deal on it, and uh, I'm remodeling it. I'm putting, uh, I'm building in it in it into three separate restaurants, but I'm going to own two, and the third one I'm going to sublease out. They also gave me a big grass area next door that they own, so I'll be able to do concerts and whatnot out there. And that'll be the anchor, and it's already happening because across the street is a, a guy named Gabino's Crepes. Yep. He's going to open up. I don't know him, but I hear he's it's got awesome. one in Palm he's Springs. In Palm Springs, and it's really very good. Yeah. So, what are your two? The, the well, two one of them is going to be called the Indian. They wanted a brewery, but you really just can't make beer there for the infrastructure is not not in place. But uh, it's going to be called the Indio Tap House. So I have like a hundred beers, a bunch of taps, a bunch of beers, or whatever. Uh, and then I have a little fifty-person restaurant called Italica. It's going to be Italian, and and my partner Roman, my neighbor. He's, he's a lawyer, but he's having a midlife crisis, so he wants to open a restaurant, you know? And so he's going to do an Italian restaurant, and, and I told him, I go, cool, you do the restaurant, I'll do the, t- the tap house, and, and, uh, and then we keep in the third spot open. The city gave us some, some, some cash to, to build it out, you know? The city's been working really hard on revitalizing. I mean, like, they, they put their, their, their Saturday events down there. They're, yeah. they're really trying. So they, yeah. they need somebody who's willing to to match their investment. Yeah. And, and so. Yeah, and it's going to be good. And, and, you know, and another guy bought, an, another real estate developer out here bought some buildings uh, one block away, and they're going to do, like, a food hall. The COD is building like crazy down there. Mm-hmm. they got two buildings they're building. It's amazing. It's going to be a bunch of kids down there. There's an art school behind us. So, you know, I'm hoping that, like, like you know, there's a cool crowd down there. Uh, gratuitous plug, I know a guy who has a sausage company for your Yeah, Italian. for sure. So yeah. I'm sure we can work out something. And I think yeah. he's Italian. He <laughs> vaguely Italian. I've heard rumors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that'll that be fun. But, you know, again, the, the restaurant thing is just to kind of keep me busy. I would imagine that at some point I'll be back in the music business. I'm just every once in a while. You know, I, I like not working, too. That's actually. <laughs> but you needed a break. Because yeah. it's a tough business. Yeah, it's a tough business. Did you accomplish what you wanted to accomplish with the break? Uh, yeah. Good. Yeah, I want. I want. Yeah, I did, and uh, it's good. It, my life's pretty good right now. Actually, I'm pretty happy. Uh, you know, I still have more to do. You know, as we all as we all do. But uh, yeah, I'm pretty happy. You know, my kids are happy. They, they say you're only as happy as your unhappiest kid. Yep. So both my kids are pretty happy right now. I think, and uh, so, so that. That makes me excited. 
But yeah, I'll probably be back in the business. I only want to do it with Paul. You know, he's been my best friend forever, and and he's the yin to my yang. You know, I remember remember this movie, American President, and Warren Beatty was in it. And, oh yes. And uh, Martin Sheen. They have this scene where they're fighting. You know, and and uh, Martin Sheen says. If it wasn't for me, you'd be the most popular history teacher at the University of Michigan. And I noticed, like, okay, he's president, but, you know, his chief of staff has actually got him there. You know, and I say that with Paul. One time, <laughs> him and I got in a big old argument. We used to fight a lot. And I remember yelling at him and saying, you know, if it wasn't for me, you'd be the most famous club booker in L.A. <laughs> I like to think that's true, but, you know, nobody's irreplaceable. But I think we had a good thing going on. We have a... Even even last night we went to Harry Styles, you know, and we're like we we drive in the car and we just talk, we just connect, and I love him dearly. I wouldn't want to be in the music business if it wasn't with him. All right, we're gonna wrap up here, but I want to ask you this because you were just at Harry Styles at the arena. Talk a little bit about how the arena has changed the landscape. We're already seeing it in terms of the acts we're getting. What, what do you see as the potential for that? Well. The guy who built the arena, his name is Tim Lewicki. He was the head of AEG when they bought our company. He's a great friend of mine. And one of the greatest men I've ever met, I will say that. Um, and he was just, I remember we'd have these meetings, these vice president meetings at AEG, and it would be all over, and I just want, I want to kill for that guy. He's such a badass. And he built it. And he went out and started his own company, and Got a bunch of hedge funds, put money behind him. He's building four arenas a year right now. Hmm. But this one in particular is amazing because it's like a junior arena. It's the bottom half of Staples Center. Holds 10,500 people. It's got suites. It's got a full roof so you can put the biggest shows in the world there. The hockey team is a farm team for Seattle. And who would have thought hockey would be big in the desert? But it's Seems big. to be. It's, yep. the, it's the second highest average attendance in the AHL. Yeah. The only one that's bigger is Calgary. And which makes sense. Yeah, which makes sense. And, you know, they're number one in season tickets because Tim is a maniac and he sells. And you go there and the vibe is killer. It's amazing. Well, but, but for the shows, you know, all we had was casinos. Right. And I think the max number was probably around 2,500. Like. Yeah, but not even that. Casinos, like casino bands. You know, I laugh. At, I use that as a, an adjective to describe bands. Like, oh, who are you going to see? I'm going to see the Casino Journey. Because those are the bands that, that, that play there. And, 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 you know, and the show is awesome. That one's good. The other one, Fantasy, you know, I don't know. It's a multi-purpose room, so it's not, it doesn't, you don't connect as well. But, but this arena, is, it's a real arena. You know, obviously, you've got the number one band in the world, number one artist in the world, Harry Styles, playing there and rocking it. Wrapping up his tour there. Oh, yeah. Today's his birthday. It's his last show. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. And I was one of uh, ten men there. Last night. <laughs> and, and he was one of them. Yeah. <laughs> and, oh, my God. The arena, is it's a game changer. Just like Coachella, just like um, the Tennis Garden, just like the Palm Springs Film Festival. Those things right there are uh, game changers for the Coachella Valley. And I love it here. You know, I live here full time now, and I love it here. And I think the arena with the hockey is creating a sense of community that we didn't have. And people from Coachella, people from Palm Springs, everybody goes there, and they love the Firebirds. It's just totally great. And I know the players, some of them, and they say that the, the atmosphere is so incredible it helps them win. Because some of these AHL teams, they have like 1,000 people there. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Where do you see the Valley going from here? 
music wise um, well music wise i think that you know it's funny that like you know coachella it's here but most people that go there don't live in coachella in the, in the coachella valley it's, it's not a local festival it, it's is, not. It, it, it brings i mean the southern california audience is coming from san diego orange county la and then as you mentioned 50 percent coming from around the country you know you get these uh what we call zip reports you know you sell a ticket and you, and you get the zip code from the credit card and uh Coachella was all west side, Santa Monica, right? San Diego, San Francisco, all the urban kind of hipster markets, right? And Stagecoach, we would say, everybody lives within five miles of the 91 freeway, you know? And a lot of people out here go, go to Stagecoach. So Coachella, as far as, like, affecting the culture of the valley, it doesn't too much. It makes people upset, actually. They get grumpy about it because of the traffic and all that stuff. But I think the arena will change that. I think the arena actually is people here. And, and you notice they're booking a lot, a lot of Latin artists. Yes. So, you know, that, that's actually the market out here. That's really going to connect a lot of people. The people that live in the eastern part of the Coachella Valley, they're going to connect with everybody else. And it's actually going to bring a lot of people here. You know, the tennis tournament... You know, there's not a lot of locals either. No, it's that's a, lot a, of people that's a big international draw. Yeah. Uh, I think the magic of Coachella and what you guys were able to do, and I think the cities finally came around to an understanding, is that it wasn't about what was happening here locally. It was about the Valley's status as mm-hmm. a cultural event. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is on the, the national and the international dashboard now. Oh, yeah. Anywhere you go, like I tell you that year when I got 52 stamps on my passport, uh, everywhere I went, and they'd say, where are you from? And I'd say, well, you know, you, you heard of Coachella? And they're like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, I'm from there. And even Palm Springs, when you say Palm Springs, they're like, eh, what? Eh. Or Indio or La Quinta, they don't know. But you say, you know where Coachella's at? And they, they know that. And uh, that's amazing. That's awesome. And that, and that, you know, in order for this valley to really develop, in my opinion, you know, we need, we need, a, we need a real university. And we need, we need manufacturing. We need, we need other things out here except besides you know just a week worth of parties you know because if you look at i know your schedule right like you could from thanksgiving to to stagecoach end of may it's every week you can go you know boys and girls club you can go hit an event there you can go to fashion week tennis you know all these golf tournaments they got another one now they're doing a rancher mirage uh film festival there's like every week it's busy i see my calendar it's like it's busy and um but you know, is that gonna? We're a resort town, but you know, we gotta we gotta modify from there a little bit. We gotta keep the resort town because that's what brings all the money in, you know. And uh, but if we were a resort town and a university town, yeah, you know, that adds a whole well, different layer. You, you know, I, I digress for a moment, but the university thing, you know, I I've been to, I used to meet with these companies that would want to sponsor Coachella, right? And I remember BlackBerry, they wanted to sponsor Coachella. So Paul and I flew to Waterloo. We flew to Toronto, Canada, and we went to a town called Waterloo, which the University of Canada was there, or the University of Toronto or something like that. And Blackberry's right next door because it was invented by people that went to the university, right? Same thing Silicon Valley is because of Berkeley and Stanford, you know, MIT and, and all these schools and the Triangle and, and University of North Carolina, and they call it the Triangle, yep. right? It's because of the universities. We have agriculture. We have hospitality. Um, we have music and film out here. And we should have a university like golf. Like, if you want to be in the golf business, 
you should say, I'm going to go to that university in, in, in the desert because that's the number one university to get an education about golf. And people say golf, well, that's just, that's dumb. Sports. Like, no, actually, it's a big business. It's a big business. And we need smart people to do it. Hospitality, you know, in Vegas, uh, University of uh, Nevada, Las Vegas, right? They have all those hotels right there. It's like, a, it's, a, it's a training ground. And we, we got 15,000 hotel rooms here. We need a university that can train these people. Are you involved with the process towards moving us that direction? Uh, no, other than I just poke at people. Yeah. <laughs> Good. You we'll know, play I'm this I'm for better, some people. I'm, I'm better at, uh, they know already, I'm, <laughs> I'm, better at, I'm better at nudging people and pissing them off than actually like getting on a board and doing it. You know, it's better. You know, everybody says, why don't you run for a politics? Like, no, there's no money in it. Number one, and like it's more fun two, to be an agitator. Yeah, the outside yeah. guy gets a little more attention. Yeah. It might be easier to go back running concert venues. Uh, yeah, I don't think there's any question. We have to have Skip back on because there are lots more stories. Way oh more. yeah, yeah, I got some good ones. I got uh, some good ones. We are up against time. Yeah. Not that there yeah. is a time limit on a podcast, but this is awesome. First of all, yeah. thank you for the venue. Yeah, no problem, man. When when we sat at that bar and started talking about it, we both looked at this corner and thought that's a pretty good spot for a for a podcast. Yeah, totally. And then Skip was like, oh, yeah, you can sit over there and do that. That'd yeah, be great. Yeah, and if you got, and you got a good little system here. So if anytime you guys want to do it, whatever, just, just, show, just, just show up or let me know. Give me a little bit of notice. I'll well, well, come hang out. You know? Now that it's in the name, yeah. we're pretty much here. Big conversations, <laughs> little bar. Skip, thank you so much for spending your afternoon with us. No this problem, is, you guys. I loved great. it. I loved it. Thank you very much. Thanks, Skip. We'll have you on again. Okay, for sure. Appreciate Thanks, it, guys. bud. Bye. Randy, this has been a ton of fun. Patrick, our first time. I think the over-under on us having a second time, we'll see the results of that in the well, next the 24 hours. Asked, the reason we asked Skip to be our first guest is because it guarantees us a second one. That's a good point. At least we know where we're going to be holding it. Patrick, it's fun. I'm glad we're doing this. All right, so join us next time right here. Big Conversations, Little Bar. It's a ton of fun, and we're going to meet some really interesting, fascinating people. Skip has set the bar very high. Thanks for listening to Big Conversations, Little Bar. Join Randy and Patrick next time as we keep the conversation going right here on Big Conversations, Little Bar. Little Bar.